Well, welcome everyone to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. Thank you so much for joining us online today. As we've said it a number of times, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's also week six of our Lenten sermon series entitled, God is Not. And during this series, if you're maybe joining us for the first time, we've been deconstructing some of the false theologies about the divine in order to better understand who God really is. And it fits well with the Lenten season because Lent is this time where we symbolically uh, return to the wilderness where Jesus spent 40 days readying himself for ministry. And it's during this journey where Jesus allows himself to be tested and challenged. And it's out of this process that Jesus emerges ready to enter into ministry that was laid out before him. And so historically, we enter this season in the same way, knowing that wherever we go and whenever we go through these challenging times, maybe even like this pandemic, we find ourselves questioning things. Why is all of this happening? And it's in these places where temptations come, we feel exhausted, doubt, isolation, all these kinds of things go up and into our soul. And we have to find ourselves faced with the question, will I trust in God's faithfulness and God's faithful presence? Or will I not? It's in these challenging times where our understanding of who God really is, is put to the test. And that has a lot to do with Lent. Lent literally means springtime. So we think of it like the process of flowers growing. And we think about where it starts, where they're buried, cold and dark in the ground, covered with the elements of rain and snow and what have you. And it's ultimately the process that happens below the ground, all this hard work that leads to growth and transformation and new life as the sun is drawing them up out of the ground. It's where we now get to see the beauty of spring. And it's without that process that happens below the ground, all the difficulties that go, we're not able to see the flowers develop as they are designed. And so we understand this. As one person put it, Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. And that's really been our hope for this series, that as we are going through this process and entering into this season and engaging with all those feels, that as a church, as individuals, as followers of Christ, God would be doing something in us, that as we approach Easter, we would find things emerging and bursting out for the glory of God. This morning, the topic of our conversation is going to be a bit of a mix of our Palm Sunday narrative and looking at this idea that God is not American. And right up front, I want to be clear that this is not an anti-America kind of conversation. I'm American. I'm very happy to be American. Um, This conversation is intended to be a challenge for us to deconstruct and theologically rethink what it means to be a follower of Christ in our day-to-day life, no matter where we live in the world. Our online technology allows us to connect with people around the world, and we have that even today. And this is not to say that America is better than others or worse than others. But it's something for us to be thinking about. What does it look like as followers of Christ in America and around the world? Before we begin, though, let me start with a word of prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, I pray that you would just be fully present in this conversation. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things you want us to. I pray that, uh, I pray against walls being 
developed even in the moments of hearing some of this dialogue that we would be able to receive what you have for us because there's some challenges in this. And you invite our honesty and our realness. And so, Spirit, be with us. Uh, may you ultimately be the one that gets the glory. May we be drawn into a closer relationship with you as a result. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, I want us to start with a question. And that question is, what does it mean to be American? Now, the definition of American, according to dictionary.com, is very simple. It is a native or citizen of the United States. And so by definition, it's a pretty simple, clear answer. God is not American, right? And we all know this to be true because Jesus wasn't born in America, nor did he migrate to the U.S. and become a U.S. citizen. So then the question is, what are we talking about with regards to this topic? And it has more to do with the term American in the form of an adjective, Dictionary.com defines American as an adjective to be relating to or characteristics of the United States or its inhabitants. And so as you hear this definition, things start to vary tremendously, just as diverse as our country is. And as someone who has family that comes from both places of privilege and in places of marginalization, someone whose entire family at one point made the journey to the United States, um, from someone who has close family members who are Democrats and Republicans, this question starts to feel more weighty and tense these days. And this is especially true depending on where you are in the country, where you grew up, your gender, your beliefs, your ethnicity, your skin color. It's not just about birthplace and citizenship. It's about the identity and the realities that come with it. And those differ all around our country and all around the world. I put this question on Facebook the other day to see what others would say. And as you might expect, the answers varied tremendously. I had people of color, people with different ethnic backgrounds, um, various genders, some that served in the military during war times, as well as people who moved here from other countries and went through the process of becoming a U.S. citizen. And many spoke of the simple reality of citizenship, but almost all spoke about some of the ideals of kind of collective freedom, massive diversity, safety and prosperity, the ability to pursue happiness, have equal rights, equal votes, democracy, and compassion for all. And with all this, pretty much everyone recognized that there's really two sides to this. That being American isn't all good, and it's not all bad, it's good and bad, right? Though, depending on your situation and your story, you may experience a lot more of the good, while others could experience much more of the bad. As one person I work with at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology said this, quote, being American means seeking to build some sort of justice, repentance, and repair out of an inheritance of stolen land, lives, and labor birthed out of European colonization, white supremacy, and exploitive capitalism paired with amazing resilience and tenacity to endure under exploitation and persist in the face of abuse. How's that for a statement? I had another person, actually one of my previous youth group kids from like 20 years ago, say this. It's a little longer, but also very good. It says this. 
I think being American is living in a country that on one hand has incredible privilege and some, for some and incredible oppression for others. Depending on which side of the line you stand often determines how you feel about America. As I feel I am priv- in the privileged group, I am challenged and tested to be able and willing and proactive to assist in the struggle of marginalized groups who are neglected and abused for those that are gifted with such things as white privilege and privileges based on being part of the majority group. Being American is largely defined by how we respond to the fact that our country is so sick with racism and hate and an overwhelming inactive inaction to cut out the root causes of this condition. Being American is, for many, being subject to hatred and or indifference to their sufferings and yet persisting through that pain to fight for equality, justice, and the pursuit of happiness. Being American has granted many of us privileges, but we mustn't forget that there are costs to those privileges, and much of that cost is suffering for others. So just these two quotes come from a series of almost 40 responses. And what was clear is that to be American means far more than simply being a native or citizen of the U.S., And more recently, with our last presidential election, being American seemed to mean something about defending political views and to stand firm on whatever those are and oppose others who believe and think differently, in many ways at all costs, right? I mean, we just saw crazy actions. And no doubt each and every one of us had experiences and debates or full-on arguments with family members, friends, neighbors, whose political views may have felt offensive to you and to others. And you may have even found yourself pushing conversations to the point of insult for the sake of finding assurance in what you believe to be true. And so all of this illustrates how the question of what it means to be American can have very different connotations for me than it might for my friends, for family members, neighbors, all of which I dearly love. And depending on your ethnicity, your gender, the color of your skin, whether you were born here in the States, your religious beliefs, you name it, it can differ as well and have very different implications. Now, sadly, although we know this to be true, this freedom and this diversity of thought is rarely met with the hope of inclusion and grace and a listening ear. Rather, what we find is that it almost immediately, when faced with differences, creates walls. And it's sad to see that these walls can happen in our very own family, in our own church, among our friends, and with our neighbors, to the point that we vilify people for thinking differently than us. And this is what we've been seeing and experiencing all around us culturally. So for me, the answer to the question, what does it mean to be American, has felt like it lies in unlocking the concept of freedom. And that was something that I saw throughout the responses, was this idea of freedom. Because these days, a correct answer could provide safety and security for me and my family and for everyone, no matter what. But if we answer this question incorrectly, then safety and security are at stake for me, maybe my family, maybe for my neighbors, for people of different backgrounds, different colored skin, not to mention different genders and beliefs, because this dialogue affects everything. The marginalized, it affects our seniors, it affects healthcare, getting the answer correct affects our economy, you name it. 
In other words, for many in this country, getting this answer correct feels critical. So much so that our lives seem to be centered around answering this question and living out the answer for all to see. Often at the expense of others. And that's the problem. Because the reality is even the most positive values that are upheld in the word American have at times been historically done so with negative undertones. Freedom has been pursued at the expense of others being exploited. Safety and security have been fought for at the expense of others being marginalized. And whatever our political views, we cannot possibly fully stand on the idea of being American without embracing the conflicting history that comes with it. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should be asking, how can we help reconcile this? And this is really what Palm Sunday is about. It seems as though more often than not, our pursuits to defend the things we believe in so strongly has caused us to remain blind to how others might experience pain and suffering. And it seems as though our desire to find answers to what does it mean to be American has caused us at times to ignore other questions that people around us might be asking that are more prevalent to their lives. InterVarsity author and pastor Tim Holmes says it like this. Might it be possible that somehow we've become more concerned with being right than we are with being lights, lights to the world? And so as we think about this, the simple truth is Jesus is not American. God is not American. Jesus didn't come to create a blueprint for Americans to be Americans. But it seems as though our identity as Christians has blended with our identity as Americans, where it is often hard to differentiate what value comes from where. And that could be a problem, right? Because in America, we oftentimes substitute the freedom that's truly given to us by God for the false freedom that was established by our human forefathers, In America, at times, we can substitute the safety and security that we can only truly have in the hands of God for safety and security found at the hands of flawed human leaders. We can often substitute the goal of building the kingdom of God for building the kingdom of our country. And to be clear, this dialogue is not intended, again, to be a political one landing on one side or the other. It's not anti-America. I'm just trying to honestly name what I'm seeing in the church in the U.S. And that is, for many, the pursuit of what it means to be American has undermined the pursuit of what it means to be a Christian in America. And again, this has to do with the Palm Sunday story. Because the realities of Jesus, the Palm Sunday narrative, the kingdom of God that comes with it is not unique to America, right? Its meaning, its purpose, its goals for, is for the whole world. It's the same reality with the same meaning in Israel, in Europe, in China, in Russia, in Africa, in South America, everywhere you go. The meaning of what's happening at Palm Sunday is the same. It may be experienced differently depending on how your country deals with things and what you're allowed to do, but it doesn't change. Ultimately, it has to do with freedom and how every one of us is ultimately looking to be saved. Be it from gender biases, 
racial inequalities, financial heartaches, illnesses, homelessness, loss of land, temptation, the bondage of sin and shame, you name it. And we're always looking for ways to get that salvation experience, to be freed. And so we try everything, and oftentimes politics becomes one of those big areas we turn to. If the right party or the right political leader is in place, then everything will change and we will be saved. And the Palm Sunday story talks about this. So let's take a look at it. You'll find this in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, which I'll read for you. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem, And came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna! In the highest heaven. You see, the people of God at this time had been oppressed, mistreated, and despised under Roman rule, and they had been waiting for change, to be freed, longing for the promised Messiah who was to come to change the world and restore all things. They envisioned this Messiah would come with authority and a mighty military to overthrow all the powers and rulers that were there. They had pictured that the Messiah would come and essentially bring things back to the way it should be and the people of God would be restored and blessed. Doesn't some of that sound like the cries of our most recent election? The primary source of this Palm Sunday story as we just read in Mark chapter 11 is there, but it's also found in all four Gospels and essentially it says the same thing in all of them. But we see some unique little differences worth noting in Mark and Luke. Luke, for example, speaks of Jesus journeying ahead and going up into Jerusalem, whereas Mark says Jesus was drawing near. And in Luke, Jesus uh, has been journeying to Jerusalem ever since chapter 9. And journeying, that theme dominates 10 chapters or about 40% of the book of Luke. And as we've learned through this Lenten season, journeys always have a tangled experience. And if you've ever traveled with your kids, you know exactly what I mean. One minute the trip is amazing, the next minute it's torture. One minute you're energized, and the next minute you're exhausted. One minute you can't wait to see something new, and the next minute you cannot wait to be home in the comfort of your own bed. And on top of that, traveling always has these expectations built into them that can make or break your experience. 
And so for them, Jerusalem is particularly important, especially in the book of Luke. It has more references to Jerusalem than all the other three gospels put together. So it's not surprising then that Luke is kind of amping up the importance of Jesus's arrival at the holy city. Why? Well, because like we've experienced in this pandemic, like our people of color who have been waiting for true equality, like women longing for equal pay, and so many other examples, these people have been waiting for a change. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come for an incredibly long time. And they have ultimately been waiting to be saved, to be set free. But what we see is that the entire story is one in which Jesus is not only going public about who he really is as the son of God, but he's flipping all the expectations and understandings of the coming Messiah upside down. As Greg spoke about a couple weeks ago, Jesus is flipping the script. And many theologians and scholars have written about the entrance into Jerusalem and how it's nothing like what these people expected or imagined. For example, Professor Campbell from Columbia Theological Seminary writes this. It says this, When Jesus does finally enter the city, he enjoys the trappings of a great military procession of a triumphal national hero. The people participating in the event do everything a victorious military leader would expect. The whole time, however, Jesus is turning imperial notions of power and rule on their head. His theater is a humorous piece of political satire. In his triumphal entry, Jesus lampoons that the powers that be and their pretensions to glory and dominion, and he enacts an alternative to their way of domination. Riding on the colt, his feet possibly dragging on the ground. Jesus comes not as one who lords his authority over others, but as one who humbly rejects domination. He comes not with pomp and wealth, but as one identified with the poor. He comes not as a mighty warrior, but as one who is vulnerable and refuses to rely on violence. Jesus here enacts in a comical and disorienting way a totally different understanding of rule and invites people to see and live in the world in a new way. Another commentary by M.L. Linval talks about this issue of power at play in the story and talks about this idea of um, what he refers to in the Palm Sunday story as a power parody. And he says this, the Palm Sunday reality was a living parody on that dream. There was no stallion for this Messiah, just a donkey on loan. There was no army for this Messiah, just a ragtag assortment of unemployed fishermen and an errant tax collector and some vaguely disreputable women. And this Messiah was no vanquisher of Romans. He was just a Galilean rabbi. The Palm Sunday story then paints this amazing picture of this crazy scene orchestrated in such a way to both fulfill all the prophecies that came before describing the Messiah's arrival and at the same time dismantling all the expectations. Jesus enters the city in many ways as the exact opposite of everyone's hopes and dreams for the longed-for Messiah. And in the midst of the scene, what are these people shouting? Hosanna, right? Hosanna. 
the Hebrew phrase that they're saying is found in one solitary place in all the Old Testament, in Psalm 118, 25, where it says, Lord, save us. Save us, please. It's this, this cry to God for help. Its origin is lament. It's crying out. It's, it's pleading for God. And it's what I would be saying if someone pushed me off a diving board knowing that I don't know how to swim and I'm drowning and I come up gasping for air and I would be yelling, help, save me. It's a combination of two Hebrew words, yasha and na. Yasha means to save, to be saved, to be delivered, to save from mortal moral troubles, to give victory to and to be liberated. And na means, please, now I pray, save me. And so, so you put these together, yasha na is translated Hosanna in both the Greek and the English. And what's interesting to note is that between the time of the Old Testament use of Hosanna as save me as this type of lament, something happened to the phrase and the meaning changed over the years in the psalm, it's immediately followed by an exclamation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help, Yashanah, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And over the centuries, the phrase, Yashanah, stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and ex- uh, exultation. And so it used to mean, save me, please. But gradually it came to mean, salvation has come. It used to be what you'd say, falling off the diving board, but it came up to be what you'd say when that lifeguard is reaching the hand out to save you, right? To save me. It's what you would say. It's bubbling over of the heart that sees hope and salvation on the way. And it can't keep it in. Now, what's important to note about this story, though, that the palm story is not Easter, right? And because of this, our scene is one of hope entangled with doubt. It's a scene where expectations and realities don't match up. It's a scene in which some are shouting, Yashana, save me, save us. And at the same time, it's this form of exalted, long-awaited lament while others are yelling, Yashana, salvation has come. And so what this means is both Hosannas, both Yashanas are true in that moment and they're true for us at any moment. It's a reality we feel all the time, even now. And this is even more true if you've allowed politics to get entangled into your faith. If we're looking at this story accurately, we can't ignore that there are others in this scene that have no hope whatsoever. They could care less about some random Jewish rabbi riding into town on a donkey. They're stuck in suffering and doubt. And so this Palm Sunday story is a story that is a mix of lament, a mix of hope, a mix of doubt, a mix of unmet expectations and dreams that seem destroyed, as well as those who are seeing God finally hearing them, seeing them, looking at them, and remembering his people. This triumphal entry of Jesus, this story, is clearly a political one and a theological one designed to change everyone 
in everything. And so what's at the core of this story? One, Jesus would reject the military and political powers of the day because in the end, they're fleeting. That the entrance to the city was an example of the power of self-giving love and humility that was exemplified in Jesus' life and ministry and soon death and resurrection. The story tells us that Jesus indeed is our Messiah, just not the kind we're hoping for. That Jesus would indeed be victorious, not over the Romans, but in the end over death itself. That Jesus has come to turn the world right side up. That Jesus invites people to say to this day, to see and live in this world in a way that they've never known before. And so you see, Jesus is not American. And the message of Christ is the same no matter where you go in the world. And on this Palm Sunday morning, we're invited to follow in the way of Jesus and to see and live in the world in this new way. The Jesus of the Bible has only one nation, right? His people. He has one political interest, the kingdom of God. And we become citizens of this kingdom through faith in the grace and work of Christ. And God's number one priority is the advancement of his kingdom for the glory of God. He wants everyone in. And no earthly nation, including America, has a special monopoly on God's favor and blessing. What God offers is for everyone. Additionally, the Jesus of the Bible that we see shed his priceless blood for people from every nation, the scripture says. All of God's promises and blessings are directed toward a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational body of Christ. In Christ, we're all blessed from the least to the greatest, and God has children all over the globe because his salvation that we long for has come to everyone, to all nations. And so as we end, we need to think, what does it mean then for us to be shouting Hosanna in 2021? We saw our kids so beautifully doing so. So what does it mean? Because even though we don't live under the oppression of Roman Empire, let's be honest, empire still reigns, right? And as we speak, marginalized communities in America are languished under the unbalanced effects of COVID-19 and unequal distribution of the vaccines. Not to mention, we still witness lethal forms of racism, hate, discrimination, unemployment, rising homelessness, and so much more. It's like every day. And sadly, what's happened in Christianity is it oftentimes overlooks these real and present physical injustices in order to preach this distant salvation in heaven that is to come someday. But today, as we wave our palm branches and we cry out, Hosanna, let us do so with both realities of lament and longing, as well as celebration that now is the time of salvation and freedom in Christ and that we get to be part of bringing it about in our world as Christ ambassadors for everyone. 
let us step out of our comfort zone to see Jesus who came to live among us, who brings healing to our lives, who's present with us, who seeks us out and pursues the poor and the homeless and the widows and the orphans and the oppressed and the marginalized and those who are treated unjustly in the same way that God seeks and pursues us all with unconditional love, unconditional grace and mercy and goodness and justice and acceptance and God's faithful presence. And so as we say our hosannas, may we be reminded that our salvation doesn't come from flipping the script, and doing the work of turning the world right side up for the kingdom of God for all people. Amen? Now, thanks for sticking with me. I did a lot of talking today. Hopefully that was connecting with you in some form or fashion. Brian's going to play for us for a few moments to give us some kind of moment of instrumental time to reflect and ponder what we've heard. And, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, there's going to be an option to use our online connection card in the online platform. That's the best way to, to share your thoughts. Um, and I would really love to hear them. I have a couple questions. Feel free to answer one or all or, or, or share something completely different that stuck out to you. But question number one. On a scale of 1 to 10, how often do you think your faith in Christ gets entangled with American ideals? Now, we have people from other countries. So how does your faith in Christ get entangled with the realities of your own country's ideals? Number two, what does it mean to be a Christian in America? That's a that's got a lot there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Number three, what are some examples in your story where you may be feeling both the hosannas? One of a cry for help and lament, along with shouts of celebration. Where in your story are you feeling both those hosannas? And number four, where might God be inviting you to bring about the true salvation and freedom of Christ in tangible ways as an ambassador of Jesus? I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please take a moment to do so. Feel free to use this space to pray and to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream. Um, Whatever you feel called to in this time, um, please note that our prayer team is available. Our prayer app is now live again. Um, If you would like prayer, they would be honored to pray with and for you. And all you have to do is click that request prayer button, and someone will receive that and connect with you in the order in which it was received I'm going to close our time with prayer and then Brian will give us a little space to reflect and then we'll join together with one last song of response. And I encourage you as you hear this song that you allow it to be both um, your own prayer of response but also a song of worship. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, as we think of the hosannas that we cry out in our day-to-day life, there's moments where we are longing and lamenting in mourning the realities of things that are going on in our world that we have been longing to see changed. As we think of those um, people of color, people from other uh, demographics that are not treated as they should be. As we think of the marginalized and those who are without 
and oftentimes forgotten. And so we cry out our hosannas in, in a song of lament and that we just want to see your salvation come, your will be done, your freedom to be present for all. And yet at the same time, God, we acknowledge the goodness of your grace and mercy that pursues us at every moment, that offers us salvation and freedom right here, right now. And we can testify to how you've changed us. And so we bring both of our hosannas to you. And we thank you that you are beyond a country. You are beyond a political power or leader. You are beyond any uh, boxes that we try to put you in. And your message of love and grace and mercy and invitation into your kingdom now is present for all no matter where we go. So God, help us to know as followers of Christ as we can be ambassadors for this truth in our day-to-day life in both the lamenting and the longing and also the celebration of your goodness and grace. That we can hold those both in a way that gives you glory and invites others into your kingdom. Be with us as we continue in our day. Thank you for your holy presence through your spirit. We give you the rest of our afternoon in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.